morning, if you have never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to think about that and pray about that. Scripture says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you can be saved. And so this morning, just on the front end, I want to just challenge you with that. Where are you in your relationship with Christ? I say that because this morning as we dive back into Ephesians 5, we're really getting at uh, the heart of some issues that really are not meant for those who do not own, who do not already know Christ. The context of the book of Ephesians is it is written to the believers in Ephesus, and so uh, the book of Ephesians tells us a lot about what it means to be a Christian theologically and and practically in our everyday lives. And, and as we are in the, the book of Ephesians here, back in, uh, in chapter 5 and beginning to move forward, it, it for, it's going to force us to ask ourselves the question, if I am a believer in Christ, does my life reflect that of somebody who has been affected and who has been changed by the overwhelming love of God. And so, uh, so that's a question that, that we're going to have to ask ourselves. Does my life reflect a life that is changed by the amazing love of the great God that we serve? You know, back, back in the day when I, was, uh, when I was in school, living out in the Benton area and in middle school and high school, um, you know, it's funny because uh, I think the first time I ever went to a shopping mall that I can remember, I was in sixth grade and I was with a friend and his parents. And, and the reason why that was the first time I had been in a shopping mall, because we lived in southwest Little Rock uh, until I was about in fifth grade. We moved out to Benton, which is still not that far away from the mall, but we didn't go in malls as, when I was a kid. We just didn't. I don't know if my parents, I was kind of late, uh, late coming on the scene. Maybe they were tired. I don't know. But we just didn't go into shopping malls. We didn't, we, it's not that we were against it. We just didn't go. We didn't shop in promenades or these fancy name brand stores. But where we did shop is in a lot of thrift shops and in a lot of flea markets. And in those days, uh, there was this thing Little Rock used to host over there at the county line, over there where the Pulaski Technical College Extension Campus is, right there on the county line of, of uh, Saline County and Pulaski County. Before PTC was there, that was the Little Rock Expo Center. And, and every month they hosted this thing called the Memphis Flea Market. And uh, so we began going to the Memphis Flea Market. Around about that time, I remember, of course, you know, you're a teenager, you're starting to kind of pay attention to things, and you're you know, these people wear this kind of shoes. And, you know, I started noticing that uh, a lot of the guys, especially all the athletes, but a lot of the cool guys uh, in my grade uh, around those, in, in those times, I began seeing them wear these sunglasses, and they kind of looked like, like bug eyes, but they were these sunglasses, and on the side they said, Oakley. And so I, I thought, man, that's like the new cool thing, you know, Oakley sunglasses. So I sort of took a mental note of that, and, and you know, just in life, I started looking around, you know, different places, and I remember seeing a pair of Oakley sunglasses 
at a store because you couldn't get on Amazon those days. Uh, but I saw them at a store, and it was like eighty to hundred dollars at an at a sunglass outlet somewhere I think in Branson where I saw them and I thought man a cheap pair of Oakley's in the mid-1990s is 80 to 100 dollars I thought man I, I'm not going I don't have 80 dollars I can barely come up with 20 dollars you know as a kid you had to take me mow my grass two times that'd take me two weeks of mowing the yard and and, and so I knew that was kind of out of the question, but I remember going to the Memphis flea market, and I remember, you know, uh, in the Memphis flea market seeing that these sunglasses that all these people were paying $80 and $100 for, you could buy them for $10 a pair at the Memphis flea market or $2 for $15. I thought that was the coolest thing. And so, well, hey, I could come up with $10. Bucks. So I, I, I bought my Oakley sunglasses. And as I got a little older and I was around more people that had sort of the real Oakley sunglasses, I began to realize that these, uh, these glasses that I had, although they looked similar enough, and although they carried the same name, and although they at times might have been packaged the same way, they were not the real deal. And so if you, if you knew what to look for, and you had a real pair of Oakleys, and those kind of sunglasses, if you knew what to look for, you could tell the difference. As we jump back in here to Ephesians 5, Paul is going to describe for us. Um, in, he's going to describe for us what it looks like in life for, uh, for a person to have lived, to live life as a person who has been changed by the love of God. So we're going to start back in verse 1. I know we've already looked at verses 1 and 2, but just for the proper context and be able to, to really have a, a more full understanding of what we're talking about here, we're going to start in verse 1 and read down to verse 7. So Ephesians 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and walk in Love as the Messiah also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any other impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for saints. Coarse and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For know this, for know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of the Messiah and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners." Father, we pray this morning that, that you would speak to us, God, and we would hear truth from your word. Father, we would be challenged where we need to be challenged. We would be encouraged and spurred on where we need to be encouraged and spurred on that we may glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, as we get started here, we've already talked about these things, so I'm not going to go too deep into the woods with these things, but I will just remind you of a couple things that we're told from the get-go here at Ephesians 5.1. First thing is to be imitators of 
God. We are called as believers to try our best to authentically mimic. Remember that word imitator is a Greek word. It's the same word where we get the English word mimic. We are to mimic God in our lives. That's not saying you try to be God because you'll never be God, but you try to be like God, because as we study Scripture, we realize that as believers in Jesus Christ, we are God's ambassadors. We are Christopostoli. We are, we are the representatives of Christ on this earth. That's why he tells us to be salt and light. So, so we, we want to be imitators of God as believers. We are called to be his representatives. You remember, maybe you remember the, the old saying, I, I say this to people all the time, I used to say it to students all the time. And the truth is that your life may be the only Bible that some people will ever read. So some people are going to form some thinking about how they view God and what they think about God based on how they see you as a representative of God, as a believer in Christ, how they see you represent God in your life. Paul says, be imitators of God in how you live. He's talking about how you love, how you worship, and how you serve. So we're reminded to be imitators. Another thing we're reminded of here, we've already talked about, is that we are dearly loved. You are dearly loved. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. That's, that's the reason, that because we're dearly loved, that's the reason if you look in Ephesians 3, you'll see that Paul prays, one of the things he prays for the Ephesians, he says, I pray for you that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend so that you may be able to comprehend with all the believers what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love. Why is it so important? Why does Paul want people to comprehend the love of God? Why does, why does God put that on the heart of Paul to write to the believers for us to read today? It's because God's love goes beyond emotions. Real love is not an emotion. It is a choice and it is a commitment. God has chosen to love you. He has made a commitment to you. And if you will accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you will trust Him, if you will accept His proposal, did you know that's where proposal comes from? From, from the way that God has loved and chosen us? If you will accept His proposal, He will bring you a relationship and a love that is without end. And it goes deeper than how you feel. Now, there are emotions attached to it. It feels good when we realize that we're loved. And that makes me happy. And that's okay. But sometimes we don't always feel those butterfly emotions. You're dearly loved. The love of God goes beyond that. It is a choice. It is a commitment. We cannot base our lives on emotions because emotions are deceiving. But then Paul takes it a step further. So he says, be imitators of God because you're dearly loved. And then he takes it a step further. He says, and walk in love. He drives home that point to walk in love as the Messiah has also loved us, gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant 
offering to God. Over and over and over again in the book of Ephesians, this word is used, the, the Greek word is uh, peripateo. It sounds like peripateto without the other T. Peripateo is the word. And throughout the book of Ephesians, it's translated differently. Some of your translations will say walk. Some of it will say live. There's even one, trans, uh, one passage where it's really more translated. It makes more sense in the English to translate it as do and what you do, but it is an active it is an active word. It requires action. Ephesians 2.10, after we're told that we're saved through faith alone, not by works, we're told that uh, we are the workmanship of Christ, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to peripateo, for us to do, or for us to live out. Uh, he tells us um, in Ephesians 4.1, Paul says that as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to peripateo, to live worthy or walk worthy of the calling you have received. And in, in 4.17, he says, I, I say this and testify on the Lord that you should no longer peripateo as the Gentiles peripateo in the futility of their thoughts. No, don't walk, don't live the way lost people live and walk because you are different. But what does it mean to walk in love? What does it mean to live love, to live like we've experienced the, the love of Christ? And so I want to go through just a few things here this morning that, that we can pick out of here this passage that, that reflects what it means to walk in love. Walking in love means changing our actions. It means changing our actions. Look at verse 3. Paul begins to really describe it. He says, but sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of. He doesn't even say you shouldn't do it. He says don't even live in a way that it, 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 it appears that you're doing it. He says should not even be heard of among you as is proper for believers. Now, if you understand the culture that Paul is writing to in, in Ephesus, this makes sense. In Ephesus is where one of the seven wonders of the ancient, ancient world was located. It was the temple of Artemis or the temple of Diana. They used different terms depending on a Greek culture, Roman culture, but the, the temple of Artemis, the temple of Diana, this was a, a false little G goddess. This was a supernatural false god that the culture worshipped. Now they worshipped many gods. The, the Greeks did, the Romans did. Uh, they worshipped many gods. And, and, and so they would go into this, this temple of Artemis, which was a, a, quote, a fertility goddess, which would, would help women in, in, as they gave birth to children. They were believed to, to, uh, to, to bless women. And so they would worship this little goddess in order to, to receive that blessing and, and to have uh, you know, that healthy childbirth and, and, and healthy life in those ways. And you, you know, when we come here today, when we worship God, we come to this place and we worship God, we praise Him, we sing praises, we pray to Him, we celebrate Him, we study the Word of God, we talk about things like righteousness and purity and truth. You know what they did when they went to worship Artemis? They performed adulterous 
immoral and impure acts with their bodies. Sometimes even just in a, in a room like this, publicly. It's public adultery. It was, it, it's sad. You and I, we listen to that here today, and that is repulsing to us. In Perryville, Arkansas today, we can't even imagine groups of people that would worship in that kind of way. But that was the culture that they lived in in those days. And, and that was um, a, to, a seemingly what seemed to be to people who grew up in that culture, people who came from that way of life, people whose parents and grandparents participated in those things, that seemed like a perfectly um, acceptable expression of love to one another. But Paul says, that ain't what love is. Love is, love is a deeper commitment than that. And, and walking in love and walking in the, in the love of God is walking by the standards of God. And so, uh, so as, he is, uh, as he's talking to the people in Ephesus, they were, they were a Greek city that was now under Roman control. They were a people of great wealth in that, in that city. They, they, they participated in indulgent behavior of every kind. Boy, they did some crazy things. And as, as Paul says, walk in love. See, many of them would have heard that in the context of their culture. But the truth is, they lived in a culture with very few standards. Now, I'm not saying they didn't have standards. They had some standards, but they had very few standards. When it came to morality, when it came to gender relations, when it came to things that were appropriate to do or to not do with your body, they did not have very many standards. Hey, you know what? That sounds a little bit like the world we live in today, doesn't it? That sounds a little bit like about the, the culture that surrounds us with changing standards all the time. You know, when I was working uh, in Bryant, I think it was in high school, maybe first year or so of college, I worked at a grocery store out there, very much like Harps right down the road, very very similar grocery store, same kind of uh, business model and everything. And I remember being there, working the cash register one day, and, and, uh, and somebody came in and they paid me a few dollars, and one of the dollars was a silver certificate dollar from, I think, the 1960s. And I remember seeing that. I'd never seen one of these things before. I didn't know what it was. And I began to ask around, and someone said, oh, that's a silver certificate. Oh, that's, you need to keep that. So, so I didn't, I mean, I didn't just keep it. I took a, another dollar that was in my wallet and traded it out. And uh, so I thought, okay, I'm going to keep that silver certificate. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world, you know. Uh, and, uh, man, I, I, that was for a person that loves history, that was pretty cool. Uh, but then someone offered me $10 for it, and so I traded them the one for the 10. I thought that was a pretty good profit. And, uh, you know, it bought me a few extra Cokes or whatever. Uh, but, man, I wish I had that thing today because it would be worth more money. But, but here's the thing. If you don't understand the silver certificate, it helps to understand the context of history in our country. There was a day 
uh, years ago when our country, the economy of our country, operated on something called the gold standard. And what that meant is for every dollar that you had in the bank, there was a certain amount of gold or silver that was available for you. And you can, the country had a certain amount of, of gold and silver stored somewhere that was, um, uh, that was uh, uh, proportional, that was the word I was looking for, proportional to the, the money that you had. And so you could go to any bank, and you could tur turn in your money for, uh, and, and you could trade it in for gold or for silver. That was a silver certificate. I could have traded that in uh, years ago uh, when it was printed. You could have taken that, traded it in for uh, the same amount of, uh, of silver. Somewhere along the way, though, um, that, that standard changed. You see, we had that standard in place for a long time. And if you don't understand economy, uh, just understand this. In those days, it really helped to provide us a very stable economy. It guaranteed the value of the American dollar worldwide. It was a set value. But somewhere along the way, about 50 or 60 years ago, some people decided there were some other ways to control the value of the dollar. And boy, it was much easier just to print more paper money uh, than, than to, uh, to have to keep all that gold. And so, uh, so we went off of the gold standard and went to uh, what we, what, how the economy operates now. But you know, something else happened in those days as well, about, about 50 or 60 years ago, uh, around about that time, you know, there was a standard in the United States, uh, and it wasn't just the gold standard. See, it was different from the gold standard, it was the God standard. And around about that time, 50 or 60 years ago, after nearly 200 years of our nation being, uh, being founded on the Word of God, the Constitution being patterned after the principles of the Word of God, uh, we had a standard of morality that had been the same. And if you went to a courthouse or a schoolhouse, or if you went to, uh, uh, to, to uh, the public square somewhere, you would see this standard of morality, the, a basic standard of morality uh, printed somewhere. It was called the Ten Commandments. And somewhere 50 or 60 years ago, our nation began to move away not just from the gold standard, but in those days we began to move away from the God standard as well. And when we did that, as we did it, it didn't happen just overnight. It's something that has been... Uh, that has been going on for a long time. But as we remove the Word of God and we've de-emphasized the Word of God uh, in our government and in our schools and even more importantly and most effectively in our homes, then we have developed into a culture whose moral compass is no longer the Word of God. We live in a culture where everyone does right in their own eyes. You might remember that from the book of Judges. And that kind of culture led to disaster for the nation of Israel in those days. It led to disaster for the Greeks. And it led for, to disaster with the mighty Roman Empire. And it is leading to disaster in the lives of people in this country today. We need to be on God's standard in our lives. You know, back in the day, 
I used to love to watch boxing, especially in the, in the mid-90s. This was before MMA really got popular, and it seems like everybody watches MMA now. But I remember some of the great boxing matches, you know, over the last 20 or 30 years. But one that really sticks in my mind, and you're going to know this if you were uh, around back then, but was the second match between champion Evander Holyfield and Iron Mike Tyson. It was Evander, it was Holyfield Tyson 2, and, and uh, they were fighting, it was like about 1997, and they were having this, this fight, and you know, boxing, there are rules. Just like in anything, there are rules. It's a sport, and so uh, within the sport, there are certain standards, and in the third round, uh, Mike Tyson was not making any headway with Vander Holyfield. He didn't really know what to do with that because he usually dominated most of his fights. And he got really frustrated and he decided to take things into his own hands. He decided that he didn't really care about the rules very much because he was kind of mad. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. And you know what he did? Yeah. He bit off a chunk of his ear. And you know what happened? He was disqualified because he broke the rules. Not only did he break the rules, but he hurt somebody. Listen, friends, when, 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 when you break the rules, when, when you don't follow rules, people get hurt. When you don't, when you don't follow the rules, people get hurt. Remember, you know, football season is beginning. Man, it's, it's on. I, I mean, uh, there was a college football game on last night, Miami and Florida. Man, I'm, I'm excited. I don't really care about either of those teams, but it was cool to see some of that game. High school football is, is beginning. Can you imagine a football game or a basketball game where, where nobody has rules, where people can just make up their own rules? It's like, hey, linebackers and tackles, you want to use a Louisville slugger at, at that runner coming? Oh, sure, go ahead, right? You wouldn't stand for that. The, the, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't want to be a part of a league that didn't have standards and rules or those rules were not uh, honored and, and people were not accountable to those things. They didn't follow those things. You know why? Because, because when you break the rules, people get hurt. You can hurt yourself and you can hurt someone else. And so we have to understand that, uh, uh, that we live in a world that, that, that talks about different truths. We live in a world that says, oh, there's your truth, and her truth, and their truth, and then there's my truth. But Scripture tells us that there is the truth, which is the Word of God, that God's truth is the only truth. Okay, It is the only thing that is dogmatically, absolutely, and empirically true. There's no such thing as your truth and my truth. Don't be fooled into thinking that you can live by some other standard without wrecking your life or wrecking the life of someone else. Our culture says love is love. But God says, 1 John 4, 8, that God is love. And then Paul tells us to walk in the love of Christ. What does that mean? Well, in the context of verse 3, this is what it means to sum it up. It means that a person who has been changed by the love of Christ should live a life of physical purity. Should live. Your actions in your life should reflect that. And one of the ways it should reflect it is in your purity. Now, I don't want to go too deep into the woods here because we, are, uh, we do have some younger folks in the room and 
I don't want to go too deep into this, but I, I do want you to see a word correlation. You know how sometimes we, uh, we read a Greek word and, you're, and instantly it's like, oh, I know what English word comes from that. The word that is translated as sexual immorality, y'all know what that is? Some of you do. Students, listen to this. Pornia. Pornia. I'll let you do the math on that. But we need to live our lives by God's standards. You cannot walk by God's standards while walking by the world's standards. Now again, that does not mean that we are ugly and mean and hateful to people that do not agree with us. But it also means that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are called to be different. So it means changing your actions, but it also means changing your attitudes. Look at verse 4. He kind of goes on to, to uh, go into how we talk and what we do. He, he says, coarse and foolish talking and crude joking are not suitable. Not suitable for believers. The, the, the Greek word here for this translated as foolish talking, it's the same Greek word that we get the English word moron. So Paul is saying... If you're going to walk in love and you're going to walk in Christ, if you're going to live like someone loved by Jesus, don't talk like a moron. Don't be stupid. Don't, don't go out there and, 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 and tell crude and vulgar jokes because that's not what, that does not reflect what we really believe as, as Christians. That does not glorify the name of Christ. And so we, we need to, to, to make sure that the things that we say are glorifying God and, and, and they're things that genuinely encourage people to righteousness. We want to focus in on here verse 4. Uh, and I want you to see, he says, but rather, rather giving thanks. So he gives us a little, just a little glimpse into thankfulness. An attitude of thankfulness because Thankfulness is something that happens within you. It's an attitude that affects your life. And so if you're using bad language and you're talking like you're talking craziness, then you're making crude and vulgar jokes. Paul says that's not suitable for a person that walks in love. It doesn't reflect a person that believes that the grace of God is important and valuable. It doesn't, doesn't sound like a person that is thankful that God saved them. 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, Give thanks in everything, or this, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Changing your attitude means that Jesus is at the center of your thoughts and your desires and your motives. And when He is, that, that causes us to be thankful. When I think about Christ and I think about the love of God, I cannot help but to be thankful for what He has done. And that thankfulness that I have makes me want to live in Christ. It makes me want to worship Him. And so we, if we're going to walk in love, we've got we to gotta, we gotta change our attitudes. Paul says, you've got to change your thinking. Stop thinking like a lost person. Start thinking like a person that knows Christ. Adopt an attitude of thankfulness for all that God has done. Walking in love means changing your actions. It means changing your attitudes. And it means changing what is admissible in your life. What you let in. The things that you allow to influence you. 
what is admissible in your life. For Paul says, um, he says, For know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of the Messiah and of God. And a lot of people will read that part and Paul's using some strong language to drive home a point that he has been hammering on and hammering on and hammering on in chapter 4 and now in chapter 5 and he's going to hammer on it some more in chapter 5 and then in chapter 6. But here is the idea. That is how lost people live. And that is not who you were created to be. In fact, that's not who they were created to be. But they have not come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But now that you are a believer in Christ, it's time to live in the new man and not the old man. It's time to put on the new clothes and not walk around in those old dirty clothes. And, and so that is, that's really the heart of what Paul's talking about. This is not talking about losing your salvation. If anything, what this means is if you are involved in these things, then it's time to check yourself, okay? It's, it, it's time to, to, to check up. Because it may be that maybe you never did come to Christ. But it also may be that for whatever reason, you have fallen into addiction or sin, whatever that, that is, and, and God is saying, hey, you need to stop that. That's not for you. That's not who you're supposed to be. And that's not what God wants for your life. But I want you to see here verse 6. He says, Let no one deceive you with empty arguments. For God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments. Listen, Satan has a stronghold on our culture today. Uh, our, our morality, that we've, we've already talked about this, our morality used to be based on God's Word, and, and now our morality is based on feelings and what we call political correctness. You hear people say being woke, that is sort of the, 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 the term that represents a new morality in our culture. Uh, evangelism and discipleship has been replaced with an emphasis on, on secular social justice. I'm not saying social justice is not important. I'm not saying that God wants people to suffer, but I'm talking about secular social justice, not biblical social justice, not a social justice that comes from the heart of God, but a social justice that comes from the feeling of man. And those are two different types of social justice. God's definition of, uh, of, of marriage has been replaced by, the, by feelings of people who are imperfect because we are all imperfect and because feelings are deceptive. We have allowed those things to define what we believe about certain institutions. Why? Because in so many of our homes, in so many of our lives, and now on campuses and courthouses, the authority of God's Word has been de-emphasized, and in many cases it is flat out ignored. God tells believers to walk in love. He doesn't say walk the line. Many of us try to walk the line. We try to balance my, our Christianity with our culture. And I'm not saying that you, you shouldn't try to reach your culture or try to understand it, but Paul says... Walk in love in this world. Walk in a way that reflects the love of God that you have 
been exposed to that's changed your life. Stop letting Hollywood and the opinions of celebrities and singers and, and other people, stop letting those things have influence on your life. If it influences you even just as much as God's Word, it's influencing you too much. But in many cases, that is, the defining, that is our defining morality in our culture today, not the Word of God. But believers are called to walk in love. We're called to walk in God's standards. Don't be influenced by the world. Walk in love. Walk like a person that's been changed by the love of Christ. That means changing your actions, your attitudes, what's admittable in your life. Paul says, don't become their partners. Listen to me. The things that this world offers to you, it's not real. Don't buy into it. Because it will not last. Trust God and walk in love. Let's pray.